This episode of the American Birding Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Beautyo Books. Remember that ABA members get a discount on all orders from Beautyo Books. You can check them out at beautyobooks.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. It is not my intention to turn this podcast into a birding memorial section, but it is worth a mention that Ontario birder Ron Pitaway, originator of the famous Winter Finch Report and pioneering field birder, passed away this week. Ron was a guiding hand for many generations of Ontario and Great Lakes area birders. The Winter Finch Report, for which he'll be remembered most, was groundbreaking for its time, a fascinating look at how patterns of weather and cone crops influence what birders see in southern Canada and northern U.S., and essential reading for many birders every single year. That report has been handed over to Tyler Hoare and others who have taken the foundation laid by Ron and brought it into the 21st century. We're all better and more informed birders for his work, which is about the best you can say for any birder's legacy. Don't you hate the over-insistent GPS app? You know the one. It's constantly trying to take you down that sketchy side street to save two minutes. Refuses to take no for an answer. It helps to be able to turn it off, close the app. Imagine having that in your brain, as birds do. They use neurological tools to read the planet's magnetic field and orient themselves while migrating. It's a remarkable adaptation, but it only really works if you can turn it off when you don't need it. That actually seems to be what is happening to birds when they rest at stopover sites. A study from researchers at the University of Western Ontario and Bowling Green State found that birds can deactivate the part of their brain that recognizes this magnetic compass and then reactivate it when they need to migrate. The study looked at white-throated sparrows trying to replicate a previous study that found similar findings in Europe and a North American species. They basically looked at restless behavior, primarily at night, and assumed that to be associated with Zug and Rua, the urge to migrate and compared it to birds resting both during the day and at night. And examining the brains of those birds, they found that a cluster of cells that is known to be associated with navigation was active during this period of restlessness, whether the migratory restlessness occurred during the day or at night, and not active when they're resting, implying that it is something that the birds can control. The fact that birds and other animals are using the Earth's magnetic field to navigate is a relatively recent revelation, but the idea that they can manipulate their brains to change how much they pay attention to it is a new and crazy one, at least to me. It's like closing the app, swiping it up, but in your mind. On the show this week, the ABA is excited to be visiting Rwanda this fall, nestled in the hills of East Africa. This beautiful nation is home to hundreds of bird species and exciting large mammals as well. Winnie Jayamajora is a guide there, and she joins me to talk about her experiences as a naturalist in Rwanda, all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the beginning of August 2023. It's Quebec again, which is having quite the plover month, not more than a few days after the province's first record of lesser sand plover was discovered. The province's first record of Pacific golden plover was found at Saint-Flavie. Apologies to French speakers. This is the latest in what has been a spate of Pacific golden plovers in the east of late. There were also birds seen this week in North Carolina, the fifth consecutive year at the same site there, and in central Florida. 
That wasn't the only rare plover in the east this week. A lesser sand plover was photographed in Rhode Island near Charleston. This is a first record for that state. This is the same species that was seen in July in Quebec. It's impossible to say whether it's the same individual, though there are some people checking. In any case, it is a fine time of year to look for this handsome little plover on the east coast where there are only 10 or so records. And in Pennsylvania, a quite unexpected Audubon's shearwater was seen flying over Bartram's Gardens in Philadelphia. While this is one of the most abundant tube noses in the Atlantic this time of year, a bird inside the Delaware Bay, let alone one that makes it as far up the bay as Philadelphia, is pretty unlikely and exciting, and in the city itself, even more so. This would be a first for Pennsylvania, a state that usually needs some sort of tropical storm to get any pelagic species, but I suppose if one were to wind up there, it'd be a warm water species like Audubon Shearwater. Those are the recent highlights for the full list. Check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. Nestled in Central Africa's Great Rift Valley, the land of a thousand hills, Rwanda is one of the most biodiverse nations on the continent, all the more impressive given its small size. With nearly 700 species of birds and an impressive diversity of large mammals, including mountain gorillas, Rwanda is an increasingly popular destination for nature tourists, including the ABA, which is heading there this fall. I am joined today by Winnie Sharmajara, a nature guide in Rwanda, and she will be helping us out on the event uh, later this year. Welcome, Winnie. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Doing very good. I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you for joining me all the way from uh, from Central Africa. Can you talk a little bit about your bird story? How did you become interested in birds and nature? Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm now working in Musambi Village. Uh, Musambi Village, it's a nature reserve and it is the first nature reserve around Kigali. Uh, Kigali is the capital city of Rwanda and uh, I work as a head guide and a botanist. Uh, I got interested in birds uh, since 2019 when I joined the organization. Um, for the like bi- little bit of the introduction, Musambi Village is a nature reserve for the crested cranes mm-hmm. that you rescued from captivity, people were having cranes in homes and then the population went down and they're endangered, uh, though it's not only in Rwanda and uh, we had to do something about it. And uh, that's where the project came in and the project started in 2014. Then the project grew up and it became local organization, which is the Rwanda Wildlife Conservation Association. Then after seeing that uh, there are some cranes that were um, disabled, uh, which means they are not be able to be returned to the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why like Musambi Village existed. And uh, when I joined the organization in 2019, I was like an intern. Uh, there I had to learn like plants, I had to learn birds, yeah. uh, but I didn't know how to like benefit me. Uh, like uh, my background, uh, I studied wildlife and aquatic resources management. Mm-hmm. Then I had to study in schools. I used to know like uh, big animals, uh, like yeah. Um, yeah, but birds we were not taught about about them and plants. We had like basics about them, but not going too deep. Then after joining the organization, I had to know more about birds. I had to know more about plants. I had to know more 
about like environment and the uh, general things that we have in the sanctuary. Then there I started like uh, going out I by myself, getting uh, mm-hmm. like a um, bad, bad book, which is Birds of East Africa. I had to get binocular. I spent like an hour every day, every day. Uh, I did that like a year. Then uh, I saw that the, I have like um, improved on knowing birds. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the Queen Musami village came because uh, in 2019 I, I was like a underground wildlife conservation association. Then 2018, that's when Musambi village started. Uh, then uh, 2019, uh, 2018, 18 I was not uh, in, but when I joined, I just like uh, got into activity of the organization and I was employed as a head guide and a botanist. So I got to know like birds like uh, in Musambi village mm-hmm. and also teaching my fellows. I have got like some people coming uh, to teach more about birds and like from the basics because I, I didn't study it like in school. I taught yeah. it by myself and uh, I, I really liked it. So where well, these days are like I'm heading other people and, and I'm trying to teach them, even like young people coming to visit the sanctuary. Uh, so I was interested in birds after knowing that it can even benefit me, not only like loving seeing them, loving the colors uh, they have, the, the law they pray in the environment, but also like uh, makes money out of it. Yeah, so I got interested since 2019, and I'm proud of it now. It's yeah, going, absolutely. Yeah, is it um, easy to get into this sort of work? Are there a lot of people in Rwanda trying to get into wildlife work? Is there sort of infrastructure available to help you get started, or is it very much sort of a um, you have to do a lot of it yourself? Oh, these days, like uh, now people are growing more, like tourism is now growing. Mm-hmm. And I have seen like many NGOs, many institutions yeah. having that branch of uh, avian tourism. So yeah. it's not somehow hard these days because there are many people like doing that. So if you're just starting at the, at the scratch, you have like to put in more effort and you have to look for the places where you can learn about that. You um, went to school to study wildlife and the focus is obviously there, the sort of the big mammals. Um, has there been a change in what people visiting Rwanda have been interested in? I mean, people are still probably really interested in seeing giraffes and and rhinos and mountain gorillas and things like that, but have more people come being interested in, in birds specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we see like um, where Musambi village is situated, it's near where the people are going to see the big five, uh, one of the right. national park called Akajeli National Park. So they bypass here and uh, there are some that also just come to Musambi village specifically yeah. for birds. So they come, and uh, I have noticed that there are some that comes from far away, like uh, from Europe or Asia, mm-hmm. coming for a specific birds. And really, we, yeah, we receive yeah. So they are interested, and they yes. What kind of birds do people come specifically to see? There is a, a small bird called the white-collared olive buck. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I have seen like more than five for internationals coming to see that. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, is there sort of interest and awareness in, you know, this, how special Rwanda is from a nature perspective to the normal Rwandan? Do they sort of know that this is a, a big, uh, you, know, you know, opportunity, big business? Um, but, you know, just in general, is there an appreciation of all the sort of natural cool things in nature that are in Rwanda? Mm. Yeah, you see, like, uh, years back, uh, tourism yeah. and conservation was not a big thing to Rwanda, but mm-hmm. Rwanda got to be known for gorillas mostly, and people like him, gorillas, and uh, uh, because of gorillas, people have got to know the importance of protecting all species. Like, yeah. now, if you say, like, let's conserve this, people, like, if you tell them, like, the benefits, you tell them the advantages, you tell them why we should conserve that, uh, people do understand and they're interested to know more about that. So it's glowing and people are, like, they also want to go in. Do they get to see these things for themselves? I mean, even, you know, the garden birds in Rwanda would be special to someone who's not, has never visited Africa before. Um, did, is there an appreciation or, or an awareness of the birds that people have just in their backyards? Oh, like, for example, for the greyhound crane that we, we uh-huh. are conserving, sure, yeah. yeah, people used to have them in yards, but nowadays yeah. they are no more there. And uh, we've done many campaigns, we've done many education in schools and in local communities, on social medias. So they got to know that uh, this type of bird is uh, it should be in the wild, not mm-hmm. in homes. And even these days, they they still when they visit the place where uh, Atumsambi village, they we tell them more about like endangered birds, endangered mm-hmm. animals. We tell them the benefits of conserving environment. So the campaigns and the education is going on. And you know, educating and campaigns, uh, it's a thing that should be done. Like yeah. More times, yeah. People tend to forget and uh, yeah. they may do something that is bad. So yeah. it's, yeah, campaigns and education are there and it's working well. Do you get help from the Rwandan government? Is the government aware and interested in sort of pushing this stuff and, and you know, making and emphasizing conservation in the country for tourism or for whatever? Mm-hmm. So the government uh, helps a lot. Because mm-hmm. uh, we can't do anything without the government. Sure. Yeah, and right. <laughs> everything we have to do, we have to tell them. So they have yeah. to go through and know if it is really like good, if it is having like a benefit, if it is like mm-hmm. helping the country to grow. So the government helps in many ways. And they are also like uh, into it in conserving and also tourism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite bird to see in Rwanda? Your favorite Ooh. local bird. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to pick just one. I'm sure there is more than one. Yeah, there are many. <laughs> yeah, are, I'll bet. There are like more than five even. <laughs> uh, but um, the grape on Ukraine, first of all, yeah. and uh, it's not because we conserve it, but it's because uh, after joining the organization, I got to know like the history it has. Because uh, years back, we used to, to wake up going to school, uh, hearing the voice or calls of the crane, and we didn't know that it is like timing, but we mm-hmm. were just wake up, go to school, then you come back. 
but it's a beauty, it's crown, the way to, it is designed, the way God created it, the way it is designed, it is like a beautiful bird. Yeah. And uh, really the gonolic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Those are cool too. The black and white. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Those are the two uh, birds that I like most, but there are other many, like also yeah. they go away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the sound they have. For, uh, for the first time, I got to spot them. I heard the voice and I was like scared, thinking that there is maybe an animal. <laughs> but after what I realized <laughs> that it is a bird, I was so surprised. So, And also the beauty it has, the crown, the colors. Yeah. When you are uh, showing people birds in Rwanda, um, is there a particular one that people get really, really excited about? Oh, like everyone is excited to see the cranes. Mm-hmm. Though like uh, Rwandans, uh, like all the people, they used to see them years back. Right. But as years goes, uh, they they were like no longer anywhere. So if they come here, they get excited. Mm-hmm. And also like even in villages, you find that kids they like it. Uh, to see the birds, though they pray with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a big bird too, which helps. It's pretty yeah. dramatic. <laughs> yeah, even size. Yeah. Mm. Um, do, do you have a favorite place to go birding or exploring in Rwanda? The favorite place? Mm-hmm. There are many places, actually. There are many places like... Uh, as I say, as I said, I started uh, doing birding here, mm-hmm. and I have gone to other places. Uh, there is another big mushroom called the Rujesi mushroom, mm-hmm. and uh, there you can see like very many water birds. You can see there many terrestrial ter- ter- birds. So I would recommend Rujesi mushroom as well. And mm-hmm. apart from Sambi village, Rujesi mushroom, and there are more places, even national parks, like Agia National Park. So, yeah, Rujesi Mashrand, Msambi Village, Nyandungu Eco Park, and uh-huh. the four national parks. For for such a small country, Rwanda has a really impressive diversity of, of habitats from, you know, the, the mountains up in the, the northwest part of the country all the way to the, kind of the savannas where it borders borders Kenya. Um, one of the things that seems so special about it is the ability to you know, go to all those different habitats and see all the different birds that are in those places. Mm. Um, it doesn't take very long to get from one side of the country to the other. Oh, it? yeah. It's like uh, driving two hours, uh, three hours. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, four hours. Yeah, it's not that long. You can't travel the whole day to one place. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, what, what else can visitors sort of expect in terms of what the birding and, and nature experience is like? Um, they can see like other animals. They can see plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can see like reptiles, amphibians, many things. And in different places, not only like uh, in one place. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, you talked about the national park that has the, uh, the big five. Mm-hmm. Um, have those always been in Rwanda or is, have there been other sort of conservation efforts to, 
to bring some of the animals back that maybe have have you know have been were gone for a period of time. Mm, there have been some other efforts from other mm-hmm. uh, organizations, like uh, where we see the Big Five. It is African Parks that is leading. So there have been other collaboration with other partners and funders to bring more animals in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like Akagia National Park, where we do have lions, where we do have rhinos. Those are animals that were reintroduced. They used to be there before, but during the genocide, they disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now these days, you can see them there. Yeah. So there um, have been other efforts from other NGOs and institutions. Are the um, are the animals doing well there? Because um, you know, I know that you know rhino is kind of famously not not doing well in a lot of places around mm-hmm. Africa. It's nice to hear that it's some success in Rwanda. Yeah, they're doing well. They're doing well. I haven't had any like a challenge uh, from mm-hmm. that back. Yeah, they're doing well and they're living well there. Yeah. Um, so I want to want to talk a little bit more about the. Uh, the Masambi, the Crown Crane Sanctuary. Um, how do the people find these cranes that need help, and what all do you provide for those birds? Oh, the um, people know that they need help because, uh, like, when they're in captivity, they can't uh, have family mm-hmm. because you may be having like two cranes and you don't know whether it is a male and a female or it is a female and a female. Mm-hmm. So when they're like in their natural habitat, they get to uh, get others that can mate together. Right, they can find each other easily. Yeah, uh, they can find mates so easily. So if we people come here, we tell them that uh, it's really good to bring them back to their natural habitat mm-hmm. because uh, when they are in homes, uh, they can't have like uh, places where to lay eggs. They, they don't have like grasses to make the nests as they should mm-hmm. be, but in the wild they can. So people, if we tell them that it's good to bring them back to their natural habitat, so that they can reproduce and we get to see more cranes that would be uh, like an advantage or good for the future generation. So mm-hmm. they understand that and they are willing like to help in any way if uh, they have like a means of helping. Uh, some can donate some money like to take care of the cranes. And uh, as Musambi village, uh, what we do is that we do health checkup. Uh, to see if they have any kind of illness, uh, and mm-hmm. we have like veterinary doctors to do that. Uh, apart from that, the disabled are given like supplement because they can't go anywhere they want. So we give them like supplement food for them to survive, and also like uh, they can search for themselves where they are. Yeah, and um, yeah, we we do treat them in case they are ill. And uh, we'll do anything that is in need for when they are not like in a good environment. How many cranes are living at the sanctuary right now? Oh, then there are about 50. You 50? may count wow. like 70 plus. Yeah. So, so yeah, the wild yeah. ones come and join the cranes at the sanctuary and stop by. Yeah, there are some, there are some mushrooms that are, are around this area. Mm-hmm. So... They just fly and come in, 
And the amazing thing is that the free range ones they in, yeah. they reproduce with the disabled. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And so they, yeah, so it's kind of a safe place for them to, to nest and then mm-hmm. the babies just go off and do know, Yeah, and the place do. is <laughs> fenced, the place is like uh, have many grasses, have many trees that uh, mm-hmm. they can feed on. Yeah, so the habitat is good for them. Winnie uh, Shamajara is a guide at the um, Uzasambi Crowned Crane Sanctuary. She's also going to be helping us out for the ABA's event in Rwanda this fall. Get more information about that at aba.org slash travel. Um, thank you so much, Winnie, for your time. Uh, we look forward to seeing the uh, seeing you this fall with the with the ABA group. And uh, best of luck uh, with the cranes and, and just enjoying birding out in Rwanda. Thank you so much as well for hosting me. Have a great evening. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. You get a lot of great benefits, including magazines, discounts to partners like Princeton University Press, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do all of that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Robin Alexander of High River, Alberta, Scott Brown of Boulder, Colorado, Brandon Horner of Rumson, New Jersey, Anna Novak of Peoria, Arizona, Maria Ostendorf of Sacramento, California, and Steve Santer of West Lafayette, Indiana, all from recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much for that. Technical production is by Greg Addington sitting in for John Lowry, whose annual winter bench report, noting the best places to sit and feed pigeons, owes its entire existence to Ron Pitaway. Social media is by Maggie Fitzgibbon, with additional help from Greg Neese, whose Vintner Finch report is required reading for wineries worried about goldfinches eating seed grapes, which is apparently a real problem sometimes. You can find us online at aba.org on social media. Most everywhere is American Birding Association on Blue Sky. We are at ABA Birds. The Winter Finch Report was more an indication of Winter Finch rapport that Ron Pitaway obviously had in spades. Thanks for everything you did, Ron. Questions, comments can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bird like Tom, and we'll catch you next week.